I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Outpellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. Hey, Owl Pellets, this is Brian, Becky, and Mike here by the Owl Pellet. And, you know, we bring back some all-stars, and we have an all-star with us here today. Haley Traney, thank you so much for being here. You you might have the award of the most frequent guest on Owl Pellets. I think you might. Yeah. Can I put that on my CV? I, I would You're going to have to explain what a CV is to everybody. But My resume. <laughs> I'm going to put it. Wow, I'm and she'll charge for autographs. Right. Now. Yeah. Everyone needs a side hustle. Yeah. And we, we appreciate you coming back and talking to us. And the reason, the reason you're probably one of the most frequent guests here on Owl Pellets is you do phenomenal work. Um, and uh, you see that? See that? Build her up. Get her up. Here's how this works, folks. Pay attention. Take notes. Um so, but Haley, this is really cool stuff. You're, you're going to be talking today about teacher performance and program quality. Uh, you've got a whole team of folks that you've worked with on this. Tell us a little bit about how this uh, collection of superheroes was brought together to tackle this problem and then what you guys ended up doing. No problem. Well, I've got some cool folks from across the country um, that I want to give a shout out to. Ed Osborne, Richie Roberts, Travis Park, and Ashley Yop. And essentially, we got together after a conference a few years ago uh, when I was talking about, I think, creating boundaries for ag teachers and how to support them in that. And they said, yeah, what you're doing is cool. How can I be a part of it? And so we we thought about this project. And really, one of our goals was to find additional evidence to this growing concern about teacher workload. We've seen in previous studies and our work and others' work about this growing list of expectations. And a, a lot of times that was from the teacher's perspective and standpoint. So they're saying that there's expectations are growing. We wanted to look at state expectations of ag teachers. So what actually exists out there? What documents exist that tell ag teachers what they should be doing and, and how well and how are they actually being measured for their performance? So that was kind of how this whole thing was conceived. Should I keep going? Okay, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> oh, Becky, you can keep going in just a second, but okay. I want to know, and I'm, I don't remember if it was in here or not, how many different documents and how many independent standards out of all the things that you pulled together? Oh, um, I don't know if I actually include it in the paper, but uh, hundreds upon hundreds. So the actual, the analysis part was really agonizing in that sense because we wanted to group like metrics or standards together without losing some of the nuance. But yeah, we're talking hundreds across the state. Um, so so kind of to backtrack a little bit, we, we, we sent out this massive email where you're asking state leaders, state leaders of ag ed, state FFA advisors, really anyone in kind of leadership positions in ag ed to send any documents that they have that um, measure teacher performance or maybe as a list of expectations or any type of metrics or standard program standards. We got 48 responses um, and let's see, 
um, we had 20 states give us specific list of standards for their state related to school-based ag ed. Um, 17 had no documents that they used or existed that they knew of. Um, six states used the national quality program standards. And then a handful of them had just generic CTE related um, standards lists. So the actual documents range quite a bit. Like Tennessee, for example, was just one page of expectations and Arizona was 124 pages of expectations. <laughs> which I know, poor people, Arizonians. I don't know if that's how you say it. Um, so uh, we were going through these docs. Arizonites? <laughs> <laughs> we were going through these, these documents, and I have to tell you, it was incredibly overwhelming reading these lists of expectations for ag teachers. I, I'm not even an ag teacher anymore, and I was, I had to take a break because it was just the, the volume of things, of expectations, of standards, of metrics, it was, it was a lot. Um, so that's something that I, I do want to point out is that that overwhelm, and I, and I thought about the ag teacher who would be reading those. You know, what are they thinking when they read these lists? Um, how is that making them feel? How is that making them behave? And, and what does that do to, to the way they go about their job? So we went through and we kind of did a content analysis, which really what we're looking up for are patterns, similarities, um, and we have um, some categories of expectations that were pretty common throughout each state. And they won't really surprise you, so I'll just review them. There was a section on teacher qualifications, so what does it take to be qualified for an ag teacher? What are the engagement expectations to be a professional? Um, and how you engage with other professionals. There were a few standards on instruction and instructional practices. There was, of course, a section on program design for the ag program, and then how to manage your program. And then lastly, stakeholder outreach and engagement. And if you look in the paper, you, you can see kind of some pretty typical standards about what it takes to be an ag teacher, what some of those expectations are. Um, but that's not quite the most fascinating finding, I think, of this study. So I'll pause there and we can move on. Wow, a cliffhanger in the middle in the middle of a podcast. I feel, like we, should, like, I feel like we should like break for commercial. <laughs> that was going to be my point. Now, now we can start uh, monetizing this with a commercial. Yeah, we have nothing to commercial. <laughs> um, okay. So here's kind of the big takeaways that I found really fascinating. Um, one was that a lot of these documents did not clearly de delineate who this was for. So they sometimes they talk about this is the teacher performance evaluation, and then sometimes it was the program. But that was pretty unclear throughout. There maybe have been a few states who had really clear delineations, but most of the time, they talked about the teacher performance and the program performance interchangeably. I find that to be pro problematic because I think an ad program often is bigger than it is. It should be, in my opinion. Uh, it should be bigger than just the ag teacher. Um, you have your um, board of advisors, you have alumni, you have parents, you have community members, you have volunteers. And so, so kind of to put it all together and put that on the expectations of the teacher, and that's how they are um, evaluated, I think, can be really hard on the teacher. 
um, and maybe not very sustainable. Well, I think even beyond that, like when, even from the like, okay, this is a lot for one person to do. Like certainly that's, that's a piece. But when I think about program performance, so much of where my program should do really well is in what the kids do. Um, and if there is such a, if there, if there's such an expectation of my success hinging on a program where kids are going to rotate through every four years and they're going to mess stuff up. Like they're, they're, they're 14 to 18 year old, like they're going to screw it up. It's going to take them time to develop and learn how to do some of those things, but it's going to be, there, there may be some very public things that like, Oh shoot. Yep. We messed that up. We got to go fix that. If that's really enmeshed in my performance, how do I let kids learn through their program involvement? Like that really seems to kind of take away from what my students can experience and really where they're supposed to get to develop in some of these programs and opportunities. I love that. Yeah. It makes me think back to, you know, when we were really emphasizing standardized testing and how a lot of teachers got in trouble because they were feeding, you know, the answers to the students. And yeah, that's a problem, but also they were being measured on student performance. So in a way it makes sense. And yeah, I think a lot of that um, kind of plays in here. Well, I mean, Haley, you know, I, I've been in this profession a long time, not nearly as long as Mike Ritalik has been in it, but um, you, you go around and some people will talk and I've heard people say, you know, you, you can't have standards for ag programs because it's all about local local program. We ever got to meet the local needs. And so there's nothing nothing similar to one program to the next. And then there's the other side that I've heard ver people that I respect very well said, yeah, but there are some basic things that probably should be the the standard or ways to talk about measuring ag ed programs, no matter if you're going to Florida or Oregon or wherever else. What what did all did you guys find out about these documents? And, and maybe you maybe the states that didn't have anything were telling us what they thought about that. Largely, they didn't. Um, and I think that's certainly a need if we're going to have any type of framework. If we find if we think that that's important for our profession, for this field, um, for this discipline, we have, we have to have that conversation. What are those standards that would make an ag program an ag program? And, or an ag teacher, an ag teacher, and not just a, another content teacher. So what are those areas of distinction? So kind of looking at maybe national standards, but then also um, emphasizing local community needs. So maybe the standards are written broadly that, that showcase that instead of kind of these check mark things that we saw in these documents. Um, yeah, but I think that's a larger conversation. And something we kind of get to at the end of the paper is, you know, our evaluation documents or our standards or you know, are these listed expectations, is that important to us? Does it have use? Does it have value? And if it does, then let's take it seriously and um, do a good job of it. And I think that that goes to one of my questions and it's twofold. It's looking backwards and it's going to be looking forward, but it goes to your comments there, Haley, as well as what uh, Brian was just talking about. But how, how were these documents being used? And so were they just put up there as guidance? Was it part of an annual or regular performance review of the program or of the teacher? What, how were they, how were they being used? And then looking forward, how should we be thinking about using such documents going forward? If at all. It's a good question. Um, 
So we, we took clues from the documents and documents themselves. We didn't actually ask the, the people who sent them to us about how they use it. So that's kind of a missing piece of the study. However, based on the way that they were laid out and kind of language on the documents, a lot of it was um, in the form of a rubric. So they were being evaluated by various folks. So some of them were self-evaluation by the ag teacher. Um, a lot of them were based on like a CTE coordinator or some sort of um, a leader of CTE in the local region to evaluate the teacher or program or both. Um, a lot of them were tied to funding. And so I know that varies state to state, but you would get points docked um, based on, yeah. And that would, that would influence the funding that you received. And a lot of them were quite punitive, um, asking for a lot of evidence, justification. Um, very few of them were framed from a, like a tool to use to kind of check in with yourself and with um, your program and make recommendations or have conversations about how things are going. It was very much just a, um, a static kind of evaluative document. And that's that's fine. I, I think we probably need some sort of expectations, but I would love to see if we have something like this, something that is more dynamic, something that's used just as a tool um, between a leader in the profession or a CTE director or whoever kind of is, is supervising you to have a conversation about how things are going, what's working well, what's not, what do we need to take off our plates? Um, how can we shift? Are we aligned with our community needs? Kind of those types of conversations I think would be really beneficial if we were to have some of these documents. And I hear maybe a little bit of, you know, what's, what's a reasonable expectation for maybe how long your teacher has been in your community or how long they've been in the profession. I think you mentioned earlier like there, there's not really, when we talk about who is this for, when we talk about what is the expectation, is the expectation the same for somebody who has just started compared to somebody who's been in their community for, for 10 plus years? OMG, Becky, that's my second knowledge bomb. Um, I almost got her to say it, guys. I almost got it. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, here's the real, here's the finding that really, um, that I struggled with. And that was I think there was one state and I should find it so I can give them credit. Um, I think it's Illinois. Um, one, one little standard, I'm talking one sentence out of the, the thousands that we review. One of those delineated expectations by years of profession. So what that means is any ag teacher who's getting these documents in front of them, and again, we don't know the extent that they see these or use them, but any ag teacher, if they're a first year or a 30 year veteran ag teacher, they have the same expectations. Um, and you might be thinking, huh, why, why is that important? Well, we'll look at any other profession, any other job, and you don't have the same expectations for entry level or beginners as you do folks who've been in their career for, you know, 25 years. And so I find that to be quite problematic. And I would love to, I would love to see some sort of distinction. Like, what are we expecting ag teachers, first year ag teachers, third year ag teachers? maybe in the 10 to 15 year. Um, how can we gradually um, have them take on more expectations or different ones um, so that they can stay in the profession longer? Um, why are we expecting first year ag teachers to perform at the same level as their veteran peers? Um, how does that contribute to the larger conversation about teacher attrition and the teacher shortage? Um, yeah, a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> 
but I find that I found to be really interesting that that was very common throughout all these documents that we received. Haley, I, I believe you were misinformed. We asked the questions. You're supposed to have the answers. I don't have the answers. I asked the questions. <laughs> uh, I don't think I it's a now. qualitative researcher. There you go. <laughs> no, <laughs> we but, end with more questions than we started with. <laughs> but I think that you, you raise a great point, but then, then you go back to something Becky said earlier. It is about student outcomes. And as a parent, I mean, I'm going to have the same expectations for my student to have the, for the teacher they have in class, whether it's a first year or a 20 year ag, ag teacher. So it is somewhat of setting the expectations up a little bit, maybe unfairly to do this because we don't we don't have a promotion system for teachers in the school systems. You know, we don't I mean even extension agents. We got extension agents one, two, three, four. We've got assistant associate full professors. You've got, you know the assistant manager, the the assistant to the district manager, all those sort of things that are out there, but that might be something we're missing from the, the entire teaching profession, not just ag teachers. I feel like this is a perfect segue into Becky's next project. This is what Haley and I talk about like all the time. This is, this is what we talk about. Yep, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, a problem. I, I struggle. Struggle with that a lot, thinking about what what is the career ladder for a, a career teacher and and opportunities there and what what is the motivation and the next step um, in their career. Yeah, even, good question. You even hear the difference in our conversation where somebody says profession and somebody says career and some like those imply really different things. When we talk about having an apprenticeship program for teachers, like apprenticeships happen in the trades. Like we have residencies for doctors. Like when we think about like what teaching compares to as a profession and so often the, sorry, Haley, I am totally stealing your show because <laughs> what we talk That's about. Enough for the next paper. <laughs> but when we talk about those things and we talk about like where, what do you compare teaching to? We, we borrow interventions from professions and from different careers all the time without really thinking about, okay, but a lot of what's actually going to make that worthwhile is not embedded in the teaching profession as it's currently structured. I think we're talking about some great things here. Um, to kind of, to wrap up up here, we're not going to quit right now, but to kind of, to land this thing a little bit. I, I have read some phenomenal research by somebody talking about setting boundaries for teachers. I, I highly recommend you read it sometime. Something about this Haddad and trainee. Um, how how does a conversation around helping teachers set boundaries? How should that be thought about as we as leaders or whoever's trying to develop these expectations and these state stand these state benchmarks and quality program markers that we're talking about here? How how do we have both of those things in our head at the same time? Understanding to help teachers set boundaries at the same time we're trying to help set you know ag teacher performance and program quality standards. Because at one in one way, one could say those conflict with each other, but how how do you see them working together? I think there needs to be way more clarity on the expectations, right? We can have expectations about teachers and high ones. I have no problem with that. Um, where I do have a problem is where does it end? And that's where the boundary piece comes in: is how to empower ag teachers to given their expectation, say, this is what I'm doing to meet those expectations. And then this is what I'm not doing. Because when you take on more and more and more, you, you don't do anything well. 
And it's not just, you know, the work performance, it's your, your, your physical, your mental health, your family, your marriage, et cetera. So you can kind of look at it that way. Say, okay, what are, let's gain clarity on the expectations. Even in your own program, if you have one ag teacher, two, get your advisory board together, your principal together, um, have some convening conversations about, okay, what are the expectations? What's important to us? What are we going to do for the next five years? And even make a strategic plan. And what are we going to do to fulfill those expectations? But then also make a list. What are we not going to do? And be very purposeful and have as much intention with what you're not going to do as what you're going to do with what you are going to do. And I think that the what the what you're not going to do, that piece is missing. We have so many incredible activities and programs in AgEd, more than any one person can do, any one program can do. If you choose what you're going to do and be intentional about that, you're going to have better student outcomes, right? You're going to have better quality of life, a, a probably a more fulfilling career than if you're doing all the things. Um, so I think that would be my suggestion to frame that conversation. And, and I and I would encourage a, a conversation around that for all ag teachers, because as I reflect on this, if, if we think about ag education as a career or as a profession, it has very few natural boundaries like perhaps other careers might. And so, and you have, you, you are accountable to so many people, your students, the parents, um, administrators, community, alumni, um, an advisory board, other, you know, and it just goes on and on. And so if it, 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 because of that, I think it's incumbent on us to really have some serious conversations about what those boundaries look like. Otherwise, we'll do what many of us do. We, we get really efficient and successful at something. And all of a sudden we realize we have a couple extra minutes of time. And so what do we do? We add something else to our plate. And, and I think that really goes to Tracy's comments about, you know, having that list of what, what no things we're going to, we're going to have there. Well, I think part of it too was interesting too, from your work is how those state standards are used because I'm with you hundred percent. Are they used for me to have a conversation to say, here's where I want to grow in. Here's the things I'm going to do with things I'm not going to do. Or are they attached to points that ends up adding to dollars to my program? And then it becomes a game. And any, most teachers can play that game. You give me a form. I mean, I, and a thousand years ago, I did that in Illinois. We had this little thing out, had to fill out our form and you wanted more X's because each X ended up equaling so many dollars to your program afterwards. You're like, all right, on this form, if I do this thing now, I'm going to get 10 more X to end up with more money to do that. And so you can actually, those standards can be used for good or for evil. And so are they, how, how is, as a state leaders, how are you framing that to support your ag teachers in setting those boundaries and still meeting those high expectations, which can be done? Mm -hmm. Once again, Haley, you, you have guided us through a tremendous conversation um, and again, one more that, that has more questions and answers, but I know that you and your team are going to continue to work on that and, and help guide us through the, the profession, having these conversations. So Haley, once again, thank you for being with us here today on Outpillots. And I look forward to everybody's interaction on social media as this podcast and all the uh, various things go out. So thanks, Haley. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a fun. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests. 
Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets Tips for Ag Teachers.